Welcome to Hub City Homers. This is now episode seven, which is kind of crazy to think about. When we started this, we didn't really know how it was going to go. Uh, we didn't even technically have a home at Sports Blog Nation. So it's really great that this has worked, that you guys have enjoyed it. We're starting to build up a little bit of an audience. Um, for those of you who have never heard us before, my name's Michael. I'm here with Jack and Kendall. Our buddy Reed is actually a member of the Texas Tech football program. He works for them, and it wouldn't be correct of him to talk about football while that's ongoing. So for the time being, you'll see a lot of the three of us during this football season. But we have another busy episode. We're going to try to keep this one shorter again. I like the end of the hour a bit better until we get back into um, a little bit more content going on when football is actually happening and we have games to recap and games to preview. So 30 to 45 minutes. We'll see how it goes. But we have a couple topics on the agenda. First and foremost, you all voted and realignment overwhelmingly won as the number one topic we should focus on. I, like many others, think it may be a little talked out, but we are going to wrap up our final thoughts until there's more news and give you guys our last takes on realignment. Then we're going to get right into the meat of football season, which is what we're going to focus on for at least most of the foreseeable future. And that's going to be looking specifically at the position groups, offense and defense, hopefully. Um, if we need to cut one out because we're really getting into the discussion on one, um, we'll do that. But we're going to start with realignment. So realignment, there hasn't really been any news, but the last time we talked was a couple of weeks ago. And at the time, realignment was still more speculative than actual. Uh, I don't believe at the time it was official, official that the rumors were true. And even if they were, it was not official that Texas and Oklahoma had the votes. They obviously did. They're officially part of the SEC. And technically speaking, that'll start in 2025. But we all know it's probably going to be next year that that move gets made. So what is the Big 12 going to do? What are the remaining eight, I should say, going to do? And how does tech in particular proceed from there? So I'm going to start this off by going to Jack with the first question of this realignment, let him get his final thoughts in. And Jack, you're seeing right now there are four Power 5 conferences and one that's on death's door. Uh, we don't know what the Big 12 is going to do and if it can survive, but if you had a preference, would you rather see Tech and some sort of either all of the remaining eight or some subgroup of two, four, or four schools head with them, head out to another conference, and join up, and that would most likely be the Pac-12, forming some sort of Pac-16, Pac-20 situation? Or would you rather the Big 12 go and poach schools, which would certainly be the top half of the AAC, whoever that is, in the Big 12's mind? Which would you prefer for Tech? Personally, I would prefer heading out to the Pac-12. Uh, these schools are already Power 5 conference schools. Uh, I believe Tech is very well cemented as a Power 5 school. Uh, you're talking about a school that was in the Division One basketball championship in 2019. Uh, you're talking about a school that has been to Omaha four out of the last uh, seven seasons. You're talking about a team who, you know, even if they haven't been that relevant in football, they're consistent-ish. Uh, you know, I just, I can't in my wildest dreams see the Big 12 staying together and poaching that top half of the ACC, or I'm sorry, the AAC. Uh, I I mean, who does that even, I don't even know who it is. It's, I'm guessing Houston, SMU, some, some schools like that. 
you know, I just I just prefer to keep the standard high. There are reasons that these schools in the AAC are not Power Five schools. There, there are reasons. Whatever those reasons may be, it's different. It's a different situation for every school. So, my final thoughts on the whole situation, and I'll keep it brief. Texas Tech does not need to sink down to the level of another conference. Texas Tech is a Power Five school. They have revenue of a Power Five school. They are a Tier 1 institution, and they deserve to remain in a Power 5 conference. We do not need to associate with these other schools. And yeah, it sounds a little arrogant, and anyone can rip me if they want to, but it's the truth. This, this school is good enough to remain in a Power 5 conference without having to pull up others. And Texas Tech will be just fine in the Pac-12. I can guarantee it. So, for me personally, um, I obviously uh, prefer staying at a Power 5 level, um, which you would think happens either way, but I I mean that in in a similar sense to you do, which is that you join the Pac-12 instead of being firmly the worst Power 5, which is... there. So, the biggest thing is there's no... American teams you can go get that will there's no combination of them there's no combination of any of these group of five teams that you could go get that's going to at all improve the Big 12's national standing to the degree that having Texas and Oklahoma have uh, did and that's not because Texas was winning all the time but Texas's national brand at least in a modern era we all know that a few years ago as in what is it now nine years since they've been relevant in football but anyways they are the biggest brand so on a brand sense nobody you can't bring in anybody that's going to replace them um and that's why i prefer to go to the pac-12 because the only brands that can compete with texas and oklahoma is a school like usc or ucla or um now getting to be that way with oregon or you know washington Uh, those are the kind of schools tech wants to associate with yes stanford stanford yeah stanford with the, with their history and biggest thing for Stanford is they're just really rich and really well regarded academically. And it's nice to be associated with that. Um, that, and I think it would be cool to go play out in Palo Alto, but, uh, or wherever the hell, I think it's Palo Alto where their campus is. I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it is. That, yeah. You're right. You're right. I have not spent a ton of time in the Pacific Northwest or the West coast in general. Uh, I was actually just out there in Portland and it's, Unfortunately, it was very hot, so that was kind of sad. But point being, um, you don't win going to grab American schools. I think you can win if you go play for the pack. Because here's what's going to happen. Texas and OU are not going to win in the SEC right away. Oklahoma will be far more competitive faster, especially in football. Um, Basketball and baseball, it's going to be a shit show for both of them. Um, Texas basketball may or may not succeed i i don't know how the chris beard experiment's going to work but what what, baseball neither one of them are going to be competitive right away they're going to be middle tier baseball programs texas in a better position oklahoma because of their history and their recent success as of last year making the college world series but in football which is what this decision is being made on neither one of them is going to be you know the top flight sec school right away this is ou's best team ever 
I don't think they're going to be this good next year when I think this move's going to go down. But they'll still be, you know, third place team. You know, I think they can be as high as third. Texas is going to be awful this year. I think they're going to be bad. I think that people drastically underrate how young they are. I don't think they're going to be that much better in year two of Sark, especially if you up the competition. So how do you win if you're Tech? You go play in the Pac-12 where, yeah, you know, you can stay in a Power 5 conference. You can be as competitive, and you can laugh while they suffer in another sports league. That's how you win. Because, yes, I think you go, if you're going to grab the American schools, there's no chance that I, if I'm a Big 12 school, I'm going to accept being folded into the American um, umbrella just so ESPN can save money. It's not going to happen. No chance. It never made any sense. That was a scumbag move by Disney to even attempt it. And laughably arrogant that they even thought they could do it. But you're going to go into the American and rate it. You're talking schools like Cincinnati. You're talking schools like Houston. I don't think you grab SMU just because TCU and Baylor are right there. Um, probably UCF or USF, one of those two. Maybe Memphis. Um, or maybe you go outside a little bit and grab BYU out of the independent to fill out. But those schools are good at sports. In fact, with Houston in particular and SMU, would still be Power 5 schools if Baylor hadn't shafted both of them in the original collapse of the Southwest Conference. But nobody in Houston roots for Houston. SMU is an extremely small alumni base. You know, they, they don't offer anything from a national perspective. They just make recruiting harder. Cincinnati doesn't offer anything from a national perspective. UCF has a massive alumni base, but it's really located specifically in Florida um, in terms of their impact. And even then, they're not, they're still the third best school in Florida at best when you ask people in perception. So it's just none of these schools add enough that I think that's the way to go. So I prefer going to the pack by a wide mile, but that may or may not be what's going to happen. We, we, it's going to be a lot of everybody playing with their cards very close to their chest. Nobody trusts anybody. But, Kendall, you've always been – you write for our friends out in Iowa for the Big Ten. Um, you remember their Sports Blog Nation blog. So you have some perspective on this. The biggest move that could shake all of this up and ruin the game for Tech is the Big Ten decides to make a power move to compete and goes to poach the top of the Pac-12, in which case – I have no idea what that would look like, but we'd have two distinct super conferences. So, Kendall, from your perspective, if you're if you're an if you're an Iowa fan right now, are you rooting for the formation of the big super conference, or would you rather the Big Ten stand firm at its current membership? Well, with the Big Ten right now, um, if I'm Iowa or even Wisconsin or any of those mid to lower tier Big Ten brands that's not Ohio State or Michigan, I feel like I'm looking at that. And as a Big Ten fan, I wouldn't want that at all just because, like, Iowa right now with the brand that they have, right now they're probably in the top five or six brands in the Big Ten, especially when it comes to football. But if you bring in the Oregons, USC's, the UCLA's, then – they're even falling probably down to the lower tier of Big Ten brands. And I think that would happen to a lot of their brands, especially even like Purdue, Indiana, those types of programs for all of their sports, adding those types of programs. And especially even if they had like Kansas and Iowa State, which it looks more and more likely just about every day that 
Kansas and Iowa State are going to end up in the Big Ten. It just seems like, as an Iowa fan, when it just comes to Iowa's brand and where they stand right now in the Big Ten, that no matter what happens with the conference realignment, the rate it's going right now, they're definitely not going to be as high up within the Big Ten hierarchy compared to where they're at now, especially even in football. They're viewed as probably one of the top programs, especially in the West. They're probably right under Wisconsin as the top brand for football. And if you add these USC's, Oregon's, all of those schools, they're just going to continue to fall down these brands and become more irrelevant when it comes to trying to make the playoff or trying to even just compete at the highest level because you have people stealing their recruits because they can convince them to come out to California instead of playing in the state of Iowa, where right now you have that kind of middle where there's really not a appeal to play in the state of Ohio over the state of Iowa that can really give teams like that more of a recruiting edge. So I think overall it affects schools like Iowa and Wisconsin very negatively if that were if that type of super conference were to happen. I think you bring up an, an, an interesting point about the nature of the future super conferences is if you're Nebraska, right, which is a big brand, it is one of the oldest blue bloods in college football. Has not been good in anything for years. Are you necessarily going to sell out? Because we're assuming this happens because there's about a bajillion dollars on the table. But are you going to sell out knowing that you bring in USC, UCLA, Washington, Oregon? You know, that that would probably be the four that get targeted. Maybe Stanford in that group. Um you bring in these big brands, some of which are good at football. Um, your job becomes infinitely harder to ever get back to blue blood winning ways. Nebraska has been awful in the Big Ten. You know, if you're Iowa, you're probably, like you said, just under Wisconsin in terms of your production. And you've suddenly got to compete against schools that I think most would consider either Giants or a sleeping giant in USC. How much do you like the idea of competing? How much does the money mean to you? How much do you weigh the added value in basketball? And how much do you weigh the added value? And now your baseball league's probably more viable. But you go add four West Coast teams, um, you might get a little bit more baseball production. So how, how much does that mean to you in the face of your football program struggling to win? You know, that's the thing. Texas and OU sold their souls for money. They can com complete they can pretend it's about being competitive as much as they want. Texas has recruited in the top 10 for football basically since I've been alive and have won nothing with it in the last 10 years. So suddenly the SEC is going to make them more competitive? No, they're doing it because they want another 20 million dollars in media revenue. That's why they're doing it. Well, they're also doing it because they'd rather lose to Alabama than lose to TCU. And that, that, that arrogant shit, yeah, and that's 100% true. It's their boosters whining about, I don't like our home, our home schedule. I don't like playing Kansas State at home. Beat them sometime. Beat them ever with any regularity and then complain that you have to play these teams. But they don't, you know? They've been a middle or bottom tier Big 12 team for the last seven or eight years. Their best year, it took everybody else sucking and 
the only good quarterback they've had in the last 10 years, Sam Ellinger, to get them to like a three-loss record. I mean, it's just unbelievable, the arrogance out of Texas. I understand why Oklahoma's upset because Oklahoma is not necessarily in a position like Texas is in terms of recruiting. It's harder for OU to recruit. It just is. You're not as close to the talent pool as Texas is. OU's done a great job recruiting, but it will make their lives easier to join the SEC from that perspective. It's going to help their baseball program recruit because they're really struggling in baseball. They're going to go from being what has been a struggling basketball program to near the top because of where SEC basketball is. So they're upgrading. You know, give them three years and they'll be competitive in football again. I can't stand what Texas is doing. That, and I especially can't stand how this was done. But that that's kind of where my thoughts are about it, you know. Uh, there's a lot of people selling out for money. But, yeah, like you said, Jack, There's they, they'd go rather lose to Alabama and they can go have fun with that. I personally don't want to see my team get beat by anybody, but they really like the idea of losing by 45 to, to Bama. I guess that's cool. Whatever. Uh, we're going to come back to tech sports now. We haven't talked enough football, and we are right around the corner for the schedule. Jack, I'm going to go to you first again since we got a nice little circle here going. Um, looking at the offensive uh, position group as a whole, um, the offensive side of the ball as a whole, I should say, um, your, your best position group is obviously the running backs. Your most questionable position group is the receivers, I think most would say. You know, you then you've got your quarterbacks where we're assuming Tyler Shuck is going to start. You got your offensive line, which appears to be pretty good. Of those gr- position groups, which one do you think ends being the most surprising, either in a good or bad way? Well, I have a hot take and a uh, interesting prediction, and I'll go ahead and. Uh, voice my opinion now. I think Tyler Shuck starts all 12 games for Texas Tech this year. Uh, I think Texas Tech goes to a bowl game as well. Whether it be six wins or seven wins, I I think regardless of what happens, you know, they get to a bowl game. And I don't know if we have to win six games anymore. I don't know if that's still a thing with uh, the NCAA, how last year I know there are teams that won like two and three games that were playing in bowl games. I don't know if that's still a thing. They, they, they're going to require it, but you can get in with five depending on your, like, what, it's the academic measure in football. I think it's called, like, the API or whatever. Tech's is not going to be high enough more often than not to okay, sneak well, in over anybody. Okay, okay well, I, I still think Tech wins six games. Uh, in my opinion, I, I do believe that uh, the wide receivers are going to shine this year. I, I obviously think that uh, Ezukama is probably going to get double teamed a good amount of the time. I'd probably say about 60 to 65% of the time he might draw a double team, uh, whether it be uh, just two corners on him off the line in a weird formation or, uh, you know, some shallow corner play with a uh, deep safety over the top, just shading towards his side of the field, something like that, which means these other receivers – I mean, they have the opportunity to have a field day in some of these games. Uh, you know, even just in the first one against Houston, you know. Um, I mean, I think Houston's best defensive back is Hogan, the dude that used to play for Tech. And because Houston seems to be just living out of our, uh, you know, our backup and reserve bench nowadays, I feel like, uh, you know, 
with Henry and Keyshawn Carter and Alex Hogan leaving Tech and going to all going to U of H to play, uh, you know, that might be Dana Holgerson trying to, you know, stab us in the back a little bit. But I mean, whatever. I really do think the wide receivers are going to show out. I think, uh, I think Kalen Geiger from Troy is going to have a huge year. Uh, I really do. I also think that uh, Trey Cleveland will probably have a, a big year. And uh, Loic Fongi from Midland. Uh, you know, I just feel like all these guys that are kind of not that well known and, you know, might have been some just like spot reserve players last year are going to have the opportunity to shine out this year. And with, with easy E drawing all this extra uh, coverage from the secondary, I think that there, the possibilities are almost endless as to who can get some serious, uh, some stat padding games. I, I think miles price will also have a huge, absolutely huge year. Uh, probably, probably Dalton Rigdon also. I mean, uh, Rigdon's due after last season. So I think, I think the wide receivers will show out pretty well. I'm also interested to see how Cumbie plays the tight ends. Uh, you know, you have Travis Kuntz from last year, who is a pretty, I, I think it was second or third leading receiver, probably third. And then you have these two freshman tight ends coming in in uh, Mason Tharp and Jed Castles. Uh, Jed Castles is six foot seven, 225 pounds. And he's the smaller one out of the two. Uh, Mason Tharp told uh, Matt Wells in his office when he first reported for fall camp that he grew an inch over the summer and he gained 20 pounds. So that would put Mason Tharp at six foot nine, 250 pounds, which is a very massive human being. Um, I think the wide receiver tight end combo is going to be a huge uh, key in Tech's offense this year. Also, I'll just go down the line. I mean, the offensive line. I think the offensive line is good. Uh, they have some experience. I'm worried about the depth. And, uh, Macon, I know we've talked, and I know you're kind of worried about the depth as well, uh, but I'm also worried about the depth. Um you know, the running backs are going to be good regardless of who's back there. Whether it's whether even if you have to sit Sir Roderick for the first game, you still have uh Xavier White, Taj Brooks. Uh you might even have the new recruit uh Cameron Valdez. Uh you have Chad Townsend back there to kind of anchor everything. So, I mean, you got a lot of guys back there. It's deep in that running back room. The depth is there, the talent is there. And uh, I'll, I'll shift it back to you, but that's just my kind of overall look on the offense. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of possibilities here, uh, but I don't, looking at this offense on paper and looking at the depth chart and stuff like that, I don't see any reason why this offense should struggle to, uh, to score points. Fortunately, I'm of, I'm of a similar opinion with the offense, just because, uh, now, I, I will say, that being said, I think the offense is talented um, and has every reason to succeed, especially if Tyler Shuck is as good as we think he is. Um, or I should I say, we don't really know how good he is, but as good as the NFL scouts seem to be evaluating him in this preseason, 
But what I will say is I was not the biggest fan of hiring Gumby. I, I mean, they just – his offenses at TCU, and maybe I've talked about this or written about this so many times, but I, I always come back to this. We can blame it all on Gary Patterson if we want, but the reality of the situation is at the end of the day, the offensive coordinator that calls the plays is largely responsible. And as far as I'm aware, he was at least calling half the plays at TCU, and they were not good. And Max Duggan was not good and has not been a great passer under – was not a great passer under Cumbie and really didn't take the kind of leaps forward that you need Tyler Shuck to. However, while I am not the biggest – was not the biggest fan of the hire, what I will say is from a scheme perspective, you couldn't screw up any worse than what David Yost was doing. The 11 personnel boring-ass nonsense we ran to lead to a screen pass is the dumbest philosophy – in major sports. So we're getting away from that. You know, at bare minimum, Cumbie's going to move guys and try to put them in the best position possible, which David Yost refused to do. He just lined them up and let them get their ass beat when we couldn't complete, you know, a three yard screen. You know, it, 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 you, it, you mean to, you mean to tell me we're going to throw the ball past the line of scrimmage this year? I know. I know there's a lot of people out there forgotten what that looks like, especially anything in the middle of the freaking field. But uh, we are going to try it, theoretically. And if nothing else, we get that with Cumbie. Um, I hope he's as big of an offensive guru as people think he is, and we get some Boykin-like numbers, um, which that Boykin offense at TCU was incredible. If we get that, we're great. But uh, as for who I think is going to surprise, because I'll ask Kendall the next the same question in a minute. The position group I think will surprise the most is the running back group, which is saying a lot because everyone has really high expectations for them. And they're going to surprise in a good way. And that is, I'll put it on paper right now. Bijan Robinson and Brees Hall are the two most talented running backs in the conference. Saradric is number three, I think, in my biased opinion. But as a group, I think Tech is the most dangerous rushing attack in the Big 12 by a lot. Um, because here's the thing. Brees Hall is phenomenal. Bijan Robinson's phenomenal. But the backs behind those guys are not great. You know, I can't name Iowa State's RB2. Bijan Robinson, I can't name who the hell Tom Herman wasted his time with, with instead of turning around and handing off the ball to Bijan a million times. So those two guys are going to run for a bunch of yards. But I think Tech's running back core as a whole outrushes them. I, I truly think every guy of the, th the three or four guys you're going to see play this year get serious playing time, the three being Xavier White, Sir Roderick Thompson, and um, uh, Townsend. Um, those three guys, all of them are Big 12, Power 5, starting caliber running backs. That's extremely unusual to have. That's extremely unusual. The offensive line was great in run support last year. They were really, really good. With the exception of maybe that TCU game, if I'm remembering correctly, that whole year is kind of a fog, but um, they were great in almost all rush protection, or all uh, rush fits. Because um, I think Cumbie's going to do what Yost didn't. There was a graph put out recently by one of the guys. I think he writes for Frogs of War still. But uh, for those of you who don't follow the Twitter account, Stats of War, uh, him and I don't agree at all on Duggan, by the way. Complete disagreement on that. But he does a lot of great statistical look. And he put one out the other day talking about how much spreading the ball around actually matters. And there's a really interesting data point. One being how good Devontae Smith was at Bama. But two, Tech is near the end in efficiency per play. Um and the reason why is because David Yost refused to feed hot hands. He loved to just turn around and give it to everybody under 
running's working, we got to throw. He was one of those kind of offensive coordinators where he just he got in this weird, I can't, it's been working for too long, I got to try to outthink the defensive coordinator. I think Cumbie may not be the world's greatest offensive coordinator, but I do think what he is definitely smarter at is, okay, the rushing game's working, turn around and hand the damn ball off. You know, that's, that's what we didn't do enough last season. Tom Herman lost his job because he didn't do that enough at Texas. Um, you know, I think Matt Wells is going to want to save his. So I think we are going to turn around and hand the ball off a lot more than most Tech fans are expecting. And I think they're going to really surprise some people. Uh, but now, Kendall, the same question to you. And like I said, good or bad, what offensive position group are you expecting to be the most surprising? So I think I look at the quarterback room and – Shuck obviously has all the potential in the world, and he's been very highly regarded by NFL scouts. But the thing I watched quite a few of Oregon's games last year, and one thing that really stood out to me, especially in the Pac-12 championship and in the Fiesta Bowl, Shuck getting benched both those games. And it just worries me because in those games, he was downright awful. There wasn't really any other way to put it. He was making his team much worse. And what worries me about that is if we do get in that situation, I don't think we necessarily have and the, the proven talent at quarterback that Oregon did have behind him to, you know, have other people step up and keep them competitive. And they came back to win that Pac-12 championship game. Like it, that somewhat worries me because Columbia, he got quite a bit of run last year, but you know, it was probably the most mediocre quarterback play. And that could be being generous in, at some points of it. And after that, it's just complete question marks on how those guys will play at a D1 level. So what worries me the most is just this quarterback room. I think a lot of the surrounding pieces are going to be there. And and I can give be- Shuck the benefit of the doubt until I actually see him play, but maybe it was just Oregon's system. Maybe he just didn't fit well with them and what they wanted to do. And maybe tech is going to be a much better system fit for him where he can showcase all of his talents. But until we kind of see what it actually looks like, it's just all speculation right now. So I think that the running backs, wide receivers and the O line, I think they, all three of those groups have the potential to be at the top of the big 12. But I think what really is going to push tech, you know, to that bowl game or possibly even competing in this conference is going to be can Chuck live up to his hype and I think that's going to be something we follow throughout the whole year so yeah I mean I I think it's it's like I said I'm hoping the running backs are going to be all that in a bag of chips and part of the reason why is what you're getting into I can't make heads or tails of Tyler Shuck um I'm gonna be honest I've watched some of this film in Oregon Nowhere near as much as an Oregon fan has, obviously, or or the coaching staff at Tech. But I, for what I've seen, he is top-end as talented as anybody in the Big 12, other than maybe Spencer Rattler, who I think is going to be OU's best quarterback ever, um, has the potential to be in terms of pure talent. But I think he's as talented as, say, Brock Purdy. But the difference between Tyler Shuck and Brock Purdy is I don't think there's been really more than maybe – a quarter of his career where Brock Purdy has made Iowa State look worse. You know, I, I think Brock Purdy at his worst has always been a gamer. You know, uh, um, Sam Ellinger, it was the same way at Texas last year. Sam Ellinger was not that talented 
in terms of top-level quarterback play. But he was a big kid, and he did a lot to help Texas win. And I don't really think he ever made them look truly worse. He wasn't always great, wasn't always pretty. And that's the same way with a lot of the quarterbacks in the Big 12, honestly, this coming season, assuming they develop. Um, Spencer Sanders at OU has, in Oklahoma State is near this point where he was getting close to the point where he was not making the team worse. Um, uh, yeah, until until Spencer Sanders fumbled four times in Lubbock a couple yeah. of years back. That was that was one, by the way. Talk about crazy-ass wins. At some point, we'll do an episode where we talk about some of the more unlikely wins in tech history. That freaking Oklahoma State beatdown is hysterical to think about. But that, I'll, I'll save my takes on that when we do that episode because that that is an absolutely insane win to look back on. Um, that team beating up on Oklahoma State like that. But um, point being is that Shuck at, at the top level is great. I think he is as good as advertised. But I can't make heads or tails of how much is Oregon's fault and how much was his. He did make Oregon look bad. In that Iowa State bowl game, he was bad. Yeah, Iowa State was by far and away the better team for a lot of that bowl game. Um, they were dominant defensively. Uh, uh, they, they, they were the better team overall, not just in, um, you know, how they played. That was a more talented team playing a not very good Oregon team that struggled to win the Pac-12 in what was across football, admittedly, a bad year for the Pac-12. It was bad for everybody. Almost nobody was good besides Bama. But I can't make heads or tails of that, and that's the big question mark of the offensive group, is how much of Tyler Shuck top end do we get? Because Columbia's not a Division One starter. I would rather not start Morton. And I think those three guys are going to make up the viable options. So we'll see. And that's part of the reason I'm hoping the running backs can dominate. Because we're going to need them to. I, I think we're, we're going to need them to. I would like to throw in the point that if Shuck starts, you know, the first, you know, five, six, seven games, I would circle November 13th on your calendar if you're a Tech fan. That is a Saturday that Texas Tech hosts Iowa State at home in Lubbock at the Jones. And I think that if Tyler Shuck is still your starter, which in my opinion I think he will be, I think that's the day that you find out what Tyler Shuck is really about. Yeah, I mean, OU's defense is going to be really, really good, but we're not in range of Oklahoma. So Iowa State is also going to – I'm not as high in Iowa State as some, but I think they are legitimately a top 25 team at worst. I mean, the reason why I'm not as high in Iowa State as, Tom, as some is just because outside of Brees Hall and Charlie Kohler and Mike Rose, I'm not convinced that team is superbly talented. Um, they're very disciplined, very well coached, and they play very hard, and they're in a great scheme. So they're going to be good. Uh, but they should not be Oklahoma level better than Tech. So if Tyler Shuck's still around, if we haven't, if the season really hasn't spun out of control, because here's the thing, if there's anybody out here who does have a quarterback favorite other than Shuck, um, you should be rooting that Shuck wins anyways, because if Shuck is not playing well, we've lost a game. If you've got to bench your starter at any point, you probably are losing the game he's benched in. So even if you are a true guy who's like, I believe we should go ahead and hand the reins off to Morton or you're somebody who watched Columbia and thought, I want to see what he can do in a better system. Um, screw that. Root for the guy who's going to start, because we need him to be good to win. 
You know, if he's playing well, it means Tech is doing well. Only accepting that being 2015-2016 when the defense was basically the worst ever, which this year they won't be, thankfully. Um, But yeah, that Iowa State game is going to be huge. It's going to be huge also to find out if Tech has finally cracked Iowa State's scheme. The last several years, we have not been able to get past the defensive scheme they brought. Very few teams have, admittedly, but Tech in particular has really struggled against Iowa State's defensive scheme. So that's going to be a big game this year, um, which is funny that now that's become a bigger game. Um, OU's so out of reach, I don't I don't think it will be. But Iowa State, you know, they're going to be top two, three in the conference, top 25 program. It's going to be a big game. It's going to be big for the offense, a chance to show out. We're going to pivot to the defense, though, uh, which is also, I think, going to be good, but we'll talk about that. And, Jack, I'm going to go to you as well first because I kind of dig the rotation. Um, when you're looking at the defense as a whole, the linebackers are well understood. We know that the secondary is a question mark. And we know that the defensive line is a question mark. But when we're looking at the two big question marks, the defensive line and the secondary, in your opinion, which one of those two units has the more potential to produce serviceable defense? I'm not, I don't even think need to know if you think they're going to be wonderful, that it would be nice if you did. But which one of those two units is more likely not to let us down this year? Uh, defensive backs, and I'll go with the fact that our football team has kind of somewhat adopted the ways of our basketball team as per the last two to three seasons, and especially this offseason with the turnover. This defensive back room is primarily made up of transfers. Uh, you know, you have your DeMarcus Fields, your Adrian Fries. Uh, you know, you have those guys that are your typical, you know, recruited tech, through and through tech guys. Talk about Eric Monroe. He went to LSU. Uh, you're talking about your other top guys that I haven't named yet. Malik Dunlap, he's from NC State. Reggie Pearson Jr., he's a safety from Wisconsin. Uh, Marquise Muddy Waters, he's also a safety. He's from Duke. Rashad Williams, he's from UCLA. You have all these guys that are from all over the country. Duke, North Carolina State, UCLA, Wisconsin, you have all these guys that are making up this defensive back. Malik Dunlap is six foot three, two hundred and fifteen pounds, and he's a cornerback. That is a massive cornerback. Muddy Waters from Duke. He knows uh, Jacob Morgenstern, and he was one of the main reasons he came to Tech because he talked to Jacob Morgenstern and uh, oh, it's gonna bug me. The coach's name that came from Duke also to be one of the secondary coaches here at Tech. You know, you have Derek Jones. So you you know all these guys, and these guys that I just mentioned, Dunlap, Waters, Williams, Pearson, DeMarcus Fields, all of these guys can start in a primary role at a D1 Power 5 school. They all have. 
Reggie Pearson Jr. had like 60-something tackles in his freshman season at Wisconsin, and he had an unfortunate medical issue, and they wouldn't let him play. But he came to Tech, got medically cleared, and now that's where we are. But you have all these guys that can play, and they're, that quite frankly, they're ballers. I would be willing to bet that this team has some of the uh, let me rephrase this team will hold some of the top passing offenses in this conference to I'm not saying they're going to hold them to less than 200 yards because that's ridiculous but I would imagine that they're going to be a little lower than normal I think these defensive backs will really show out. I, I love DeMarcus Fields as a starter. I really think DeMarcus Fields is going to start. I think him and Adrian Fry will probably rotate. And then at that other corner spot, which will be Zach McPherson's hole to fill, uh, you know, you can you can rotate Dunlap and uh, Rashad Williams over there. And, you know, uh, rotate... Reggie Pearson Jr. in at that safety spot for either Monroe or uh, Marquise Waters. You know, it. this secondary is extremely talented. The transfer portal has been used exquisitely, but will they mesh? That's the main question. Will it mesh? And I think, hopefully, fingers crossed if you're a Tech fan, that it will. Before I get my thoughts, I will go to Kendall with the same question, but with one caveat. When you're looking at, you have a big transfer out of Virginia Tech, who's going to probably be your starting defensive end. You got big transfers from LSU. We we know Monroe well, but you got big transfers out of NC State, Duke, uh, and Wisconsin that are probably going to make up a bulk of your defense. Just taking objectively the transfer group. Which side of which side of the defense is going to ends up having a bigger impact? Is it going to be the transfer secondary members, or is it going to be the transfers along the defensive line? I think that the defensive backs are going to have a bigger impact, just due to. I feel like they are going to have just. I think there's a little more talent within those transfers, but on the other hand, I think that the guys on the defensive line. I feel like we almost need them to have a bigger impact because as far as the offensive backs go, if you're not getting any pressure on the ball, you're not getting anybody in the backfield, your defensive backs are going to struggle no matter what. And I feel like in the past, it ha- the Tech's pass rush has been an issue at times. And there are specific games that I can point to, even just this past year, like the Texas game when – it felt like we were given Ellinger forever back there at points of that game that we ended up losing. And I feel like no matter where your defensive backs are at, and even your linebackers too, if you're not getting a pass rush, on, especially on passing downs, I just feel like every, no matter how much talent you have behind them, it's not going to help if nobody can get to the quarterback. So I just think that that's – we, we have to pray that the defensive line, with how many question marks there are, that they can really surprise all of us. And I think that that would be the best-case scenario for Tech's defense this year. See, I tend to agree because I think, I think 
we all are on the same page that the defensive backs are probably more likely to succeed just because, you know, with the exception really of um, um, Adrian Fry on the back end, you know, he's, he's to me the biggest question mark. We know what we're going to get with most of the rest. They've either been division one proven starters or, and that they put, performed well, or they just are what they are. Demarcus Fields is a great example of this. He's not going to be a lockdown corner. Just isn't going to be. He's going to get burned constantly. He's going to make some great plays too. Adrian Fry to me is the biggest question, um, which is interesting because a few years ago he was probably the biggest bright spot, and then he just fell off when they made his position change. He's been moved back to his original position, so hopefully he's better. But he's the biggest question mark. The defensive line is entirely a question mark. I I. I know very, very little about how it's going to go. But the biggest point I think Kendall made that is 100% valid and the biggest concern for me is we were awful at generating pass rush last season. I think we averaged something paltry like a quarter of a sack a game across the year. I mean, the linebackers generated almost every sack. Eli Howard was the only person I think who even had a single game with one and a half sacks out of the defense. Defense a lot. You have two returning starters, uh, Tony Bradford and Jalen Hutchings, each had one sack on the season, not just in one game. They each had one sack on the entire season. You have people, Colin Schooler had three and a half on the season, just yeah, for I mean, reference. That, that, that's, that's what I'm th- – because here's the thing, it, it's great that Colin School is good to do like really, you know, if if you're the reason why we're not talking about the linebackers is because we all know they're good. You know, J, you know why Jack can say Colin School is three and a half sacks and that be a bad thing? Because he led the team in sacks. That's the problem. I mean, it's it's unbelievable how bad we were in pass rush last season. Because here's the thing, I thought the secondary was in fact better last year after the disaster of the Houston Baptist game I thought they tried to tighten up the problem was is that if you sit them on an island and force the linebackers to rush constantly you wear out the linebacker core and you wear out the secondary trying to play coverage and then holes open up I mean it's just reality holes open up that way they have to be better um you know you got two transfers this year one out of AM, one coming out of Virginia Tech they're division one level guys Neither ones were super productive um, in college. Both of them have a little bit of production, but they were sought-after transfers. You have two returning starters and several other guys who were role players who you're hoping take another step forward. Somebody on that defensive line needs to become a pass rush specialist. I don't care who it is. We need at least one guy who you can confidently say is going to get a couple of hurries and a couple of knockdowns and maybe a sack and a half that, that's a little greedy. A sack a game. I'll, I'll say that. It's greedy to ask for a sack a game, but I'll say it confidently. If you got somebody who at least is a threat to get a sack a game, you know, he's knocking down the quarterback regularly. Maybe he doesn't get him on the ground for a sack, but he's forcing the issue. You're going to be infinitely better defensively. Because I think that, like I said, besides Adrian Fry, you have a lot of answers on the back end now. But it, like Jack said, you got two guys that you know anything about on that defensive line. Like Kendall pointed out, you don't, you will not be good if the defensive line doesn't produce defensively. So what's the moral of the story is, is that we're kind of getting back to 
a, a, a problem with tech football. We have at least some reason to be optimistic offensively. We know the linebackers are going to be great, a la the Dakota Allen linebacker core. They were pretty good. You know, Dakota Allen is an NF, was an NFL-ish caliber linebacker. But you have very few answers on the defensive line, and you have a lot of questions in the back end of how those guys are going to come play. If it all works out, if it all works out, I'll, I think I'll close out the show by asking, assuming the defensive the defense takes a step forward and the offense is as good as we hope it could be, do you think Tech has any chance at all of competing for a top three finish in the Big 12? Is the team talented enough to do that? Uh, when you're looking at that top three, I mean, obviously OU and Texas will be up there. Your third team is, I mean, actually, before I say Texas, I'll say Iowa State. So you have OU and Iowa State up there. Maybe Texas. I don't know, under a first-year head coach. Uh, you know, Sark is Sark is something, I'll say that. So you really don't know what you're going to get from him. You really don't. Um, you know, you always have Gary Patterson over at TCU. You have Climbing at Kansas State, who is slowly but surely kind of following the Matt Campbell trajectory of slowly but surely building something that's worth a crap. And uh, obviously you have the mullet wonder up in Stillwater that is, you know, coaching still to this day. Uh, Do I think they're in the top three or four? You know, I think if Tech reaches its best potential, its absolute best potential, And with that, I mean, they're going to have to win some games that they're not slated to win. They're probably going to have to beat Iowa State in Lubbock. They're probably going to have to beat Oklahoma State in Lubbock. They're going to have to win at Baylor. They're going to have to win at home against Kansas State. So they're going to have to win one, two, three, four, four out of the last five games uh, just to just to kind of cement everything. And, you know, for some reason, Matt Wells seems to have West Virginia's number. I don't really know. I think at the best possible scenario, I think you probably finish third. And that's at the best. Everything goes your way. Everything falls your way. You beat TCU at home. You beat Kansas State at home. You beat Iowa State at home. You beat Oklahoma State at home. You pretty much win yeah, you do. You win all of your conference home games. And that's just the way it has to be. Uh, you're going to have to beat Baylor and Waco. You're going to have to beat uh, Kansas in Lawrence because God knows we didn't do it last time. Uh, you, I mean, you're just going to have to you're going to have to do that. So do I think it can get there? Possibly. I give it probably about a 25 to 35% chance of that happening. But before I, before I stop talking for the rest of the pod and everything, I will issue kind of a challenge to the Red Raider faithful, not to get too far off topic, but we're in the middle of realignment talks. 
this football season could possibly be the most important football season that most of us have seen at Texas Tech. We need everyone that can get to the Jones to be there. When other conferences are looking at Tech, they're going to be looking at attendance. And these past couple years, the attendance has been shit. I'll be honest. It's been shit. So if you want Tech to go to the Pac-12, then you better get your ass to the stadium and support this team. Because this is going to be one of the better teams that Texas Tech has had in a very long time. So it's time to show that you're a tech fan and it's time to show your support. Yeah, I'll, I, I 100% agree. I mean, in particular, this game in NRG, um, is going to be big. There's going to be a lot of eyes watching this game to see how the fan bases travel and who watches. I mean, part of it's the football team's got to win. Um, if they win people show, but if you're a casual tech fan who can get to the games, um, you should. It, it's going to matter that Tech looks like a Power 5 program. It may not matter much. I don't know how much um, one years of data is going to matter in the grand scheme of things or how much additional uh, eyeballs we can draw, but we got to put in an effort. Um, the guys are going to, so we should as well. But before I give my thoughts to close out the pod, we are running long. Um, seems to always happen, so we'll end up with about an hour. But, Kendall, the floor is yours. Best case scenario, if the offense and defense succeed, how do you think Tech finishes? Can they get into the top three of the conference? Is the talent finally there? I think I'm going to sound absolutely way too optimistic with this. But based off of everything we've talked about today, we offensively we have a lot of proven players, especially on the offensive line and running backs, assuming Shuck does live up to his potential. And we have a couple receivers break out. And defensively, our linebackers are there, and maybe we just get just enough out of the defensive line and the defensive backs. I, Being way too optimistic about it, I think that they easily could be up there because Oklahoma is the one proven team, and they definitely have the most talent in the Big 12. But I don't care. With Iowa State, they're phenomenal. They have a lot of talent. But at the same time, when they're not a proven program, it's – very tough to live up to top 10 expectations each week. And even a couple games could be slip-ups, especially on the road in the Big 12. It's never easy. And Texas is very young. And basically every other team besides maybe Oklahoma State is in a similar boat to Tech right now, as in they have a lot to prove. And I think that with everything in the Big 12 right now, a lot of programs need to make a statement this year with realignment. This would be the year that I think with all the talent tech has, it's a Matt Wells prove it year. I think that playing at their best, everything goes right, that they can finish in the top three. I think that if everything is working, you're better than most of the conference. If everything works, this assuming you're healthy, your offensive line performs like we expect, your running backs do, your receivers do, Chuck is great, 
defensively, the the back end's taken care of by the transfers. The linebackers are, we already know, are great, and the defensive line finds some production. That assumes that you're a total well-rounded football team. So by nature, that's a best-case scenario. And then obviously in that world, you are better than most of the conference where that's not going to happen. But in terms of sheer talent, this is the first team Matt Wells has had and the first team I think Tech has had in a few years that, other than, I said we'll say, Kingsbury's last season, that was another team that I thought, barring the quarterback um, injuries, was very good. But this team is as good and I think better than that team was. And I thought that team was eight wins until the injuries. So at pure talent, starting positions, whole nine, you can finish in the top three if everything goes right. Hell, with the exception of OU, I don't think anybody could legitimately say they play a fully functioning 2021 Tech football team and feel pretty good about it. Uh, Texas isn't going to be great. They're the only team that would be, on paper, more talented. Iowa State is very disciplined, but like I've said, their their strength is scheme, discipline, and well-coaching. That doesn't lead to overwhelming um, advantages in talent, though they are very good. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to offend the Iowa State folks out there by underselling them. I, I think that's a clear top 25 team. But, you know, other than those three uh, are those two guys, Iowa State and OU. And really only OU in terms of pure. Just they're going to be better than you. Um, a fully a, a great tech team could beat them all. Um, I don't know if that's what we're going to get. You know, there's so many questions about the defense still. There's so many questions at the quarterback position. I am optimistic. I think this team is in win-now mode. That's why you built it off these transfers. Um, and that's what the roster's designed to do, is win-now. There's there's no excuses left. Matt Wells designed these roster. This is his guys. He's decided his strategy. He's got his coordinators. Everything's in position. The talent is there. Whether or not it pans out is going to come down to coaching. And that's where I get a little concerned. Because I don't know about Matt Wells. I don't know about Cumbie. I like Keith Patterson. I do. I think he's been a bright spot. Other than a couple unfortunate decisions with prevent defense, I think he's been a bright spot of the staff. But, you know, there if everything works, you're talented enough to finish as high as second in the conference. And maybe if every OU player gets hurt, you can beat them too. But I think that the most realistic positive scenario is some combination thereof, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about when we do a full season preview. And in that world, I still think you can win seven, eight games where a couple things don't go your way. You're good enough. If there are tech fans out here who don't buy it, on paper, this team is good enough. The only reason the national media and other members of the, media, uh, the Big 12 media have not noticed is because they don't want to. Um, they don't want to pay attention. They want to believe that Tech can't get better. But the route is that, that it's there. This is the chance. I don't know how good they'll be, but the chance now is there to win. So, you know, that that's where we are. Um, we're going to do... And, I, and Well, to add on to that real quick before we Yeah, end, go for it. Just remember, the last time, to be quite honest, the last time this team was relevant was Cliff Kingsbury's first season when we started out 7-0. and and we got up to 12th in the country in the AP poll. That's why you're not seeing any of this. Because that's how long it's been since this football team was relevant. Yeah, I mean, Tech has no football history. Every year's been 
the same thing. And I know we're all exhausted by it. You know, it's been so long since we've been good and there's very little history even outside of those years. But I mean, I know we say this every year, but this is a year that you can win. I don't know if you're going to, but if everything goes your way, which it has not for tech in a very long time, but if everything goes your way, you're going to win games. Um, hell, technically speaking, last year you were theoretically um, um, a, a, a six-win program in a normal year. Now, you weren't good, but that would have been a step forward, and this whole year would feel differently for most tech fans. So I know there's a lot of reason to be depressed about football and conference realignment and you know what what are we going to do now but there if you're a tech fan now you should be excited you know it it one way or another we're going to learn what matt wells is capable of um and i'm hoping that he can lead this roster that has the talent to some wins but we're going to close out a little over an hour after i edit it it'd probably be a bit below an hour um I keep saying we're going to switch to 30-minute, 45-minute episodes. And almost every time we run long, we have a lot of fun doing this. Um, thanks to Kendall and Jack for coming out with me. Like I said, if you you did, if you did, skimmed through my intro for any reason, we also really appreciate Reed. He is a member of the Tech Athletic Department right now. He's a manager for the football team. And he has been asked by the program not to talk about it during the season, which is 100% fair. I wouldn't want somebody in my locker room talking about my program constantly. So he will be back. Um, and if we ever do episodes or have interviews where we're not talking football, he'll be a part of those as well. So he is gone, but not forgotten, and he will return. But thank you guys for listening to our seventh rendition. We're now fully, I'm hoping, done with realignment for the foreseeable future and can start honing in on the season. I think our next episode will look specifically at the season as a whole. And depending when that's filmed, we may go ahead and preview Houston. We are just a few weeks out from the season. It's time to get hyped. Wreck them, and thanks, everybody, for listening.